Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my dear friend, Kate Warman. Kate is an LA-based speaker, fashion blogger, and relationship podcaster, and y'all are going to love her. Kate is such an encourager of women, especially as we're navigating our single and dating lives, and I know that you are going to walk away from this episode feeling like you made a new best friend. In our conversation today, Kate is opening up to us about how she's navigating singleness and dating in her own life. She shares with us how she's making the most of this season and the huge revelation she had a few years ago that changed her dating life completely. She's talking to us about navigating rejection in relationships and how to face that rejection without being quite so devastated by it. We also have a super honest conversation about sex as single women, and we both share why we made the decision to wait to have sex until we're married. Friends, this episode is Girl Talk to the Max, and I cannot wait to share it with you. But before I do, as we're talking about singleness and dating today with Kate, there's a resource I wanted to make sure to tell you about. It's a resource I created about a month ago to help answer one of the most common questions I'm asked when it comes to the topic of relationships. The question is, how do I know when I'm ready to start dating? And how do I go about figuring that out? And I totally get why we're asking. It's a big decision and one we want to make with intentionality. We want the timing to be right. We want to be ready. We don't want to rush into it or skip over any learning or growing we might need to do in the meantime. But because this is such an important decision, it's also a really hard one to make. And that's why I created a resource to help. It's a free quiz and it's called, Are You Ready to Start Dating? And in it, I will help you ask and answer the 10 questions we should all think through before we jump into a relationship. But we don't stop there. Once you're finished answering the questions, we'll jump into a complete answer key together. It'll feel like you and I are sitting down over coffee to talk through your answers as we figure out if you might want to take a little more time before you jump into the dating world or if you're totally ready to get out there. Guys, I cannot wait to send this your way. If you go to my Instagram, I'm at Wilson over on Instagram and click the link in my profile, you'll be able to download a copy of the quiz for free and I cannot wait to share this with you. Okay, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here is my conversation with Kate. All right, friends, I am so excited for what we have in store today. I'm sitting here with my dear friend, Kate Warman, and you are like, I just want to tell you already you're welcome for what's about to happen because she's amazing and you are going to love her. And so Kate, for girls who don't know you, take a second and tell us who you are, what you do, and then I have no idea what you're going to share for your fun fact, which makes me so excited. So give us a fun ah! fact. Okay, girl, I love all this. That was such an amazing intro. And can I just say, I'm so honored to be on here to have some girls talk with you on Girls Night. This is so much fun. And I feel like I'm sitting with you right now in our pajamas in front of the TV, maybe watching a Netflix rom-com and drinking some wine as we should be, right? And maybe having Absolutely. some chocolate. That's what I love on Girls Night. Um, um, but I just, it's so much fun. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, and I really do. You did text me before we hopped on and you were like, just FYI, I'm in my comfy, like comfy clothes. <laughs> yes. And I was like, thank God, because I was too. And I thought like, do I change? Do I not? So glad I, I didn't. Know. So glad we're here. Um, okay, so tell us who you are, what you do yes. and give us a fun fact. 
Okay. Okay. Hey, everyone. I'm Kate Warman. I am a city loving girl. I live in Los Angeles, but I'm constantly dreaming of Paris. I love all things French. So it's just like a thing that I love the French culture. So, but in reality, what I do for work, so the things I'm passionate about. So I'm a blogger. Um, I have a blog called Kateness, which is kind of just my nickname. And then um, I'm also a speaker. I'm an inspirational speaker. I really encourage women to thrive with purpose. I'm also the owner of a social media company, uh, which is called Kate Cat. And I run it with my business partner, Kat. She's a wonderful best friend of mine. And then most recently, and something I'm overly passionate about is I've also become a podcaster and I host yes. a podcast. Yay! Podcasters unite. Um, but I host a Christian podcast called The Heart of Dating. And so it's a podcast that's that's right. It's all about dating. And it's specific, specifically about Christian dating because I really think that we all need dating help, but actually we all need dating help also as Christians. And so we try to navigate the murky waters, as we say, because we admit, and I always say this, that hashtag the struggle is real, especially when it comes to dating. So I have so much fun doing that. And some days, most days you can find me in conversations about dating or researching about it. I have my nose in so many dating books. It's hilarious. Um, but it's fun and fascinating and all of the things. And I really and truly, Steph, I have a heart to really see relationships restored and like help people to live into their God-given identities, knowing and recognizing that singleness is a gift and it's not a disease. I love to say that. And it can be used to cultivate absolutely incredible things. And so that's just, I guess, a little bit about me. And then, oh my gosh, I love the fun fact question. So I was thinking about this beforehand, but I got to say this. So this is a true thing about me. So I was born in Canada and something that a lot of people don't know, unless you're an avid follower of me, I guess on Instagram, but that I am completely and totally obsessed with Celine Dion. I think she is the absolute greatest human to ever walk the planet. <laughs> like honestly, other than Jesus, obviously, but, um, Celine Dion and Jesus are both twos on the Enneagrams apparently. But, um, so she's just the most phenomenal woman. I have a crazy obsession with her. And I have to say that in tandem with the fact that also it brings me to like kind of admitting that I have my favorite movie in the entire world is Titanic. And, um, to that point, I was so obsessed with both Celine Dion who sings the theme song of Titanic and the movie Titanic that when Titanic came out on not DVD, but VHS back in the day for everyone listening, yes, we had VHS. And, um, the day that it came out, my dad went to the actual video store and he stood in line to get me like a copy. He brought it home that night and I was so excited. I could not wait to get home from school. But not only that, he also brought back for me a, an entire binder that included the entire script of Titanic. So I know basically like every word from the entire movie. <laughs> oh, and that is, okay. Speaking of VHSs, that came on two VHSs, didn't it? Yes. It's like split in the middle part. I think like right after Rose gets slapped. Oh my gosh. Something like a bad dramatic scene. And then it's like cuts and you're like, Oh, we have to go to the next VHS. <laughs> yeah. You have to swap the VHS. Yes. Oh my Okay. Back in okay. the day. Okay. This is how I know we're best friends. So first of all, as you're talking about your heart for dating and relationships, I feel like every girl who's listening is like, and now I totally know why she and Steph are friends. Um, <laughs> yes. the second reason, and this is, this is real here. Um, oh. Celine Dion, my very first cassette tape. The first music I ever owned myself was Celine Dion's Fallen Into You album. Yes, and my favorite song, um, hang on, I'm a, uh, Because You Loved Me yes. was my favorite song like, literally for the first probably decade of my life. <laughs> yes. um, and 
Other fun fact, which actually girls who, if you've been listening to Girls Night for a long time, you know this already. My go-to karaoke song is It's All Coming Back to Me Now, which is hilarious. So it's like me and my two best friends, anytime we're in a karaoke situation, we always sing it. And it's like the world's most dramatic song. And so we're like falling all over the stage with our like romantic agony and stuff. The the hard part about that song is that it's way more fun for us than anyone else because it's like 10 minutes long. Um, It's so long and drawn out. Yeah. It's like the worst (laughs) karaoke song ever, but we sing it at every opportunity. You and I soulmate best friends Celine Dion oh my gosh we are doing that we're having a girls night in real life where we're singing to Celine Dion I literally sometimes make my girlfriends come over I'm like you're not really a true friend with me if you don't know that I'm obsessed with Celine Dion if you don't watch her Vegas show on DVD with me because like I literally enact the moves like she has this one like standing kind of lunge move that I'm like yes it's super powerful and like it's hilarious she like brings it up and brings it down and like like looks through the window I mean it's just we're dancing you guys can't even oh, see us yeah, because it's see us. we're like enacting it right now I would like get up and start singing although I literally can't sing and just like to wrap up this fun fact but like the one final thing is that all in the same year that Titanic came out I you know I had an awful voice at the time like I actually sounded really like a man because I had polyps on my vocal cords when I was that young it was so bad and so I had a really husky little voice and I but I was determined and like convince my parents to take me to a recording studio and record my heart will go on. And so at the age of nine, I have a recording of me on cassette. That is me at the age of nine singing my heart will go on. <laughs> I would do a lot to hear that. I would do, I feel like, I feel like you have to find it and put it on Instagram or something like give the people what they want. <laughs> I found it girl. You won't believe this. I lost it. And it was such a tragedy. I found it a few months ago. I think it was like two and a half months ago. My roommate found it in our couch. I don't know why. Um, but that's where you find a lot of random things. Right. And we, we were like, Oh my gosh, what do we do? Well, turns out my roommate has an older car. She has a cassette player in her car. Cause no one has a cassette player. Anymore. Oh, that's a good point. So we like immediately took it, went to the car and we listened to it. And I just was crying, laughing. It's so funny. I, I love everything about this. I love everything about this. I'm sure we played at my wedding one day or something. I'm like, if you really want to know me, you get to hear that cassette. And then, you know, we're like intimately close, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. I, we could talk about this forever. We could spend the whole rest of the time talking about Celine Dion and like four girls listening are like into it. And the rest are like, guys, come on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> on to the next. Okay. On to the next. Talk about thing. Adele, the modern day sling down. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. So, Kate, I, I love you and I love your heart. And I want to, I have so many questions for you about dating and about singleness and about your story and about the things that you've learned and on the heart of dating, the things that you've like that you teach and share with your listeners. I want to start out though. Tell us like, where did this passion for dating come from? Other than, I mean, you might've already told us the answer it might come from Titanic and Celine Dion because, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jack um, and Rose. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, the ultimate, there was room on the door. Okay. He, she could have scooted I know. over. I hate she, it. Every time I watch it, I'm like, I want to rewatch this. And I just pray every time that it would change and it doesn't. Oh you're like, gosh. Kate, scoot over, scoot over. Um, Rose, sorry. <laughs> Rose, yeah. um, uh, okay. So 
But where, really, where did the, where did your heart for dating and, and helping like restoring relationships, where did this come from in your life? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I really feel like in order to talk about this, I kind of like have to talk about some of my dating history a little bit. And so, um, a few years ago, basically, and I'll, I'll reveal more about this. I'm sure in our conversation, but a few years ago, I really made the transition in my life to date with intention and date in a way where I was filled totally by God first and foremost. And in the past, I really was not doing that. And so I started really on this journey at the time in my life. And it was about, I would say like three and a half years ago to kind of seek out all of the absolute best dating resources that I could possibly find. But the thing was, while there are a lot of like decent resources out there, it's not really the main topic of conversation by a lot of pastors or authors. And so you can find a pastor you really love, like maybe Matt Chandler. I love him. He's a great pastor, right? But you have to scroll through a lot of his sermons to find the ones that are about dating or singleness and things like that. And there's just like really a handful and they're really really golden nuggets, but it's not like a a topic that a lot of pastors or even authors cover. And so what I realized too, is that most of my conversations with my single friends, male and female, all had to revolve around relationships, heartbreak, you know, relationships, heartbreak, asking people out, all of it. And what I realized is that a lot of us really have no idea what we're doing. Um, and the funny part is a lot of church congregations today are actually single. So the stats on average today are that, um, men are getting married at the average age of 29. And for women, it's about 27 and a half. So we are talking about it constantly, but we're getting married later. And yet we don't seem to really have a whole lot of direction and focus on it as a church as a whole. So it's at the top of our minds as young Christians, but it's sometimes at the bottom of the minds or in term of priority, at least in terms of how much focus the church gives it. And I don't blame them. It's because it's subjective and it's a hard subject to talk about. So what I was thinking about was I was like, I, we really need more resources. And because dating is not explicitly talked about in the Bible, you know, because dating at the time didn't exist, we need to have more solid resources and just start more conversations about dating because people have a lot of questions that they don't know how to answer. It's ambiguous. It's really murky. And so my heart and true goal behind talking about dating is you know, to kind of dive right into all of the hard stuff and all the things that maybe people want to shy away from talking about. And at first it's a really daunting task because like I said, a lot of people don't really want to talk about it, but I was like, well, someone has to do it. We have to talk about it more. Right. And when you look at how our culture influences today, influences us today. Sometimes if we don't talk about things enough and get enough direction, we can be more influenced by our culture than we are by actual, by the actual Bible. Right. And so, and that just happens based on cultural influences. You see it all around us with the hypersexualization of our culture or the consumeristic model and the increasing metrics of depression and loneliness and all of it. So, you know, another thing that really got me passionate about it is that I'm just currently navigating it myself. I'm currently single and experiencing it every single day. So doing the Heart of Dating and starting the Heart of Dating podcast really was so exciting for me too, because it's not only a great thing and a resource for other people to just have this life-giving these life-giving conversations, but it's also so fulfilling and rewarding to me to be able to talk to people about this topic. I learn so much and it's a part of my life every single day right now. So, you know, a lot of things we cover in the podcast, especially are 
things that the church sometimes doesn't like to cover, you know, like sexual sexuality, masculinity, femininity, bound, physical boundaries, you know, and all the things that come with that. So we go dive, we talk about sex too. We just dive really into all of it. And it's so much fun. No conversation is exactly the same and no one person has the exact same view of it. But I think the whole point is to admit that we don't know what we're doing and to kind of just have the conversation with people and being open to learning and growing in the process. Oh, I love that. Well, and you mentioned that um, a lot of your heart for this comes from your past. And so I was going to ask you about that. Can you give us like a snapshot of where you've been when it comes to dating? And you said that you're currently single, um, but I would love to just hear like just kind of what the journey over the last couple of years has looked like. Oh man, girl. Well, are you ready to dive deep with me for a second? Cause I kind of need to go deep in order to tell you a little bit about my dating past. Are you ready for it? Done. I was born ready. Yes. That's the response. Always. Like when guys are like, are you ready to have a conversation? I'm like, yes, I'm born ready. People are like, no, I don't want to have a DTR. I'm like, no, let's, we got to face it and like Mm -hmm. have the deep talk, you know? Yes. Um, I'm here for it. So I really believe that in order to talk about relationships in general, a lot of them are largely influenced by what happened to us as children. So for me, I'm just going to touch briefly on my upbringing and then my dating life. So because of my upbringing in some ways, I was constantly seeking out validation and affirmation specifically via men. And this often happens when, you know, you don't have strong figures in your life necessarily giving you that validation and affirmation. That was, and I'm a really big believer and love the Enneagram. And so my type is a three and they the threes as the achievers, we constantly seek out affirmation. And so in diving really deep into that, I realized that when you don't get a ton of information or information, affirmation from men or people in your life as a child, you often seek it out in other ways. And so, so much of my childhood and adolescence, I felt that I had to prove myself to others and especially to men. And I really, really deeply desired to be recognized. And I wanted just various men to like really just see me and know who I was. And I found through that process, a deep rooted sense of self-consciousness and really a lower self-worth about myself as a woman. So any validation for men that I got, I just ate it all up. I was like, yes, I need that. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And it spoke to my identity, even though that's not where I should be getting that affirmation from. So as I reflect, like really in my dating life in high school, as it started, I realized that what's so funny is that one year in high school, I actually, you know, had 16 boyfriends at the age of 16. And it's so sad to actually admit that, but it's true. And I ate it up. I was so into it. I was like, I'm the new girl. I had moved from Connecticut to Ohio and I was all about being the new girl. Right. And so this pattern of seeking affirmation from men really led me to eventually get into relationships that I held on to for far too long because I wanted it to affirm my identity. And eventually, so I was in a five-year relationship that I really held on for far too long and that eventually ended. But then it really brought me to being in a relationship after that, that was really totally and completely toxic. And it's a very long story, but what I'll tell you is that that journey, and I was about right out of college at the time. So it started me entering into this relationship of a toxic journey of basically deception, lying, manipulation, and flat out abuse. And when I finally got out of that relationship, it took me about three years, um, two and a half to three years to really get out of that relationship. I felt so low. I mean, like at the lowest of lows and at that moment in time, I just remember thinking I had no idea who I was. And you know what I what I believe now in reflecting on that and that moment of just like questioning my worth and value is I do know that I believe God allows us to truly experience our lowest moments because it's in those places that we actually have nothing to cling onto but him. 
we may be starving. We may be aching. We may feel like we are alone in the desert, but his love in those moments, God's love is like the exact water we need for our parched souls. And so that was where I was um, after that relationship, that toxic, abusive relationship. And this is where, where God really started reminding me and showing me like, Hey, Kate, you've used to define yourself by what men see you as. And I want you to redefine your identity to realize that the way I see you is the true way of how you should be viewed. And it's beautiful and perfect and wonderful. And even though at the time I felt ashamed, I felt like I'd wasted my time maybe with all these different guys. God really reminded me that it wasn't a waste of time because it led me to this moment of really rediscovering my identity and how worthy I was. And I love to encourage women in that, you know, like even if you've been through a, a really hard past or really hard relationships, it doesn't mean that it was a waste of time. You know, like you learn so much from everything in your life that none of it is wasted time. It's all about how your identity is built through it. And God has a plan and a purpose for every single bad, horrific, traumatic experience that you had. And so after that relationship, I really took some years off to really reclaim who I was in Christ and to really be awakened to the fact that all these relationships before previously defined me. So I, when I finally felt ready to enter back into dating, it was really about two almost three years of singleness. And I finally felt, okay, like I'm probably at a place where I'm ready to have single to, to date again. But here's the thing. When you are burned and bruised, what do you do? Right. You usually normally put up a crazy fortress around you with walls to protect yourself. And you're like, nobody is sending arrow, any arrows my way. I have like this giant wall up and that's what I did. But my wall really looked like having strict and profite in, in a very precise list of what I thought the guy's that I dated need to be like. So I thought I was mentally ready to date, but then I couldn't actually seem to find anyone because my expectations were all so ridiculously high. And so it was at that time where I was like, I'm ready to date, but why can't I find anyone to date? Well, um, hmm, reality check, Kate, it's probably because your list is making you so blinded to any of the actual good men out there. So at that time, I remember a friend told me that she was going to start rethinking dating. And so she actually gave me this book or recommended a book to me. I can't remember if she gave it or recommended it to me, but it was a called, um, it, the book is called how to get a date worth keeping by Dr. Henry cloud. And Oh my gosh, for all the listeners, if you haven't read this book, it's super easy. It's basically like a dating challenge and Henry cloud is the bomb, but so it's good. so easy. Have you read it or like you've it's, heard of it? Yes. It's so oh good. Gosh, it's, it's so, so good. good. And what he had in that book, which I just want to bring, and I know it's like a long story, but I just love that he said this. So he had this place in the book where he said, like, are you the girl that is saying there's just no good guys out there? There's no good guys in the church. And like, I'm just going to sit here and wait till my Prince Charming knocks on my door. And that's what I'm going to do. Well, that was like me at the time. I was like, yeah, that is what it's like. There are no good guys. And what he says to her, he's like, girlfriend to this girl in the book. He's like, if you think that there's no good guys out there, that's actually a lie. There are amazing men out there, but you are, if you are sitting in your home and thinking that you're just waiting for God to drop Prince Charming on your doorstep, then unless you're going to marry the FedEx guy, you are not going to end up getting married maybe at all. <laughs> and so I, I read this and was listening. And I was like, oh my my gosh, that's me. This is me. And so the whole book is about basically this dating challenge and kind of like to reshape your view on dating and see it as a means to learn and grow, see it as a means to really understand about other people. And so I kind of had to rip down my expectations. Um, even though I mentally felt healed and prepared, I really had to like reframe what I thought dating was in order to actually enter into dating healthily. So that's kind of 
what happened. And then over the course of those few years, this is like a longer story, but I had a few relationships, learned a ton from them. And I'm sure we're going to talk about more of them in detail. But, you know, I had one where I never would have expected to date this guy, to date this guy, to date this guy. He was not what I would have looked for on paper, but he ended up being such an amazing guy. And I'd love to talk more about how that, how I came to realizing that and how God broke down my balls and seeing him in a different light. But it was so cool that happened. And then I ended up dating someone else who was someone I thought I was going to marry. I'm still single. So clearly I didn't get married to him, but girl, it has just been such a life giving rich journey that I've really like enjoyed and loved because I've learned so much about myself in the process and I've learned about other people. And in fact, a lot of people are like, you can't be friends with your exes. I actually don't always think that's true. I have a lot of friends that are my exes because we've able been able to have great relationships that are life giving and positive and with great communication that, or we both have learned so much and just decided we were incompatible and we could walk away as friends. And that is so beautiful. So that's a bit of my dating story and what, and, you know, kind of where I am at today with everything. Oh my gosh. I love everything about that. I, I love so many of the things you said, and I have so many follow-up questions, but one of the things you said that I love was you said that it's been such a beautiful, rich journey. And I feel like as girls are listening, like and it depends on kind of what sort of, maybe what sort of day you've had. Um, but I think that for some of them, they're like, really? Because we just don't talk about singleness and dating like that enough. Yeah. It's, you know, we, we really, so much of the focus for so many of us in our own lives and in our conversations is like, this is what's hard about this. This is what's like, you know, singleness yeah. is bad. Like you said, you know, singleness isn't a disease, but we talk about it like it is. Yeah. I want to hear from you, you know, something that we really talk about a lot in my community is making the most of this season while we're single. And I would love to hear like, how have you, other than like reframing dating, which I want to talk about that more too, yeah. um, what are some like habits or decisions or, you know, things that you've made a point to do in this season? And maybe especially in those three years when you were sort of like taking a break, taking a minute, um, that have contributed to your being ready to be in a relationship, but also really enjoying your single life, like just really practical things. I feel like yeah. you probably have some good ones. Oh my gosh. So girl, it's so important that we reframe singleness. And I do talk about this a lot that in the church, we don't make it, we don't do a really great job of celebrating singleness. And we do celebrate all the other things in life, like marriage and having babies and getting engaged and all those things are wonderful. But what about also celebrating our single friends and the things that they're doing and the ministries they're starting and, you know, the mentorship they're doing all of that. So I think that we really, you know, have to create a, and this isn't like one person can change it. We have to, as a community, um, as a body of believers, really encourage one another to celebrate the people in our life who are also single, you know? And I think people like you, Steph, have done such an amazing job of that because you are married, but you're still celebrating the lives of so many single women and men. And that is so beautiful. And that's what we need to do, right? And so we can celebrate all of these different aspects of life because then it makes singleness not this like burden or disease. It's really a beautiful season that you can cultivate, cultivate so many beautiful things for Jesus in that season. And so so something that I had to really reframe and just thinking of singleness is really seeing it as a time that God has purpose for me for a great and incredible miraculous work, right? Like this is a season where he actually has me here because he wants me here all to himself. This is a time of true devotion to the Lord. And, you know, Paul talks about it in the Bible consistently, but like that singleness really is that time of doing good works and being completely devoted to the Lord. And 
that is something that we may not have ever again once we get married, right? That true devoted time and things in your life change. So for me, what I realized in cultivating and just as one of my favorite pastors, John Tyson says, he's like, how can you cultivate holy ambition for the kingdom of God as a single? Cultivating holy ambition for the kingdom of God as a single. And I love that quote. It stays with me over and over. And I'm always thinking about that. Like, how am I cultivating holy ambition? So I'll go through some of the habits I've cultivated to really live into my purpose single life. Um, And they kind of like fall into three different categories. So the first one I would say is self-care. And I love this category because taking care of myself, myself, especially when single is so essential. And like, seriously, that means that I actually schedule me nights on my calendar nights where I can do whatever I want to do, whether it's soaking up in the word and worshiping, whether it's reading an amazing book, whether it's taking a bath with a face mask and candles and, you know, having some beautiful jazzy music on, like, it's like, that is a me night. And I actually put it on the calendar. I'm like, nope, not doing anything else. Um, and that's part of my self-care, right? And another thing for me for self-care and singleness has been reading. And this has been particularly healing for me and just important because I think reading and seeking wisdom is so vital. And I wasn't something that a few years ago I really valued in the same way. Of course I read the Bible, but I wasn't really reading for like books or, um, I wasn't listening to tons of podcasts. I wasn't filling my mind with incredible things that could be used to sharpen my mind. And so another thing, not only books that are like life-giving and, and help you with your life, but also books that kind of like also take you away from life, like a novel. And I love reading a good novel. And last month I went to Italy and actually got to read a novel for two weeks. And it was the most beautiful thing to be able to just be like, wow, I can separate myself and go into this beautiful world of reading a novel. And that's, I have the time to do that. And that's so beautiful. And so self-care is really, really important. And then the next one I would say is soul care. And for me, soul care really looks like daily meditative times with Jesus. And that for me usually is in the morning. I'm really more awake and alert in the morning. And so I love starting my morning out with him. And this year I've been reading the BIOY app or like doing the BIOY, so Bible in One Year app. Um, and it's been absolutely amazing. I love it so much. And so I do that every day or try to do that every day. And then I follow it up with what I call worship walks. And it's amazing. They've been the most healing thing in my life, girl. Can I just say, and yes, I live in California. So we have amazing weather all the time, but like, it is so awesome to just get outside of my house and walk around with worship in my ears and be praising on the streets. I'm like, hands up, walking the streets of California. And that's a time where I like can worship God and really have dedicated prayer time to the people in my life too. Um, so whatever that is for you, like making a ritual for soul care. Um, and I really believe in the, like the three spiritual disciplines of silence, solitude, and stillness. And we'll really have to value that. And we can use our singleness time to create these amazing practices and disciplines that will be used for that will be, can be used in our future, like married life. So I think it's super, super important. And then the last thing, I guess I just did all three S's here, but okay. I like that. alliteration. So, um, the last one is service. And I think that this is so important in our season of singleness because 
we don't have kids or added responsibilities right now. You know, we don't have a husband that we're at home with every night. It's really just us. So the question to ask everybody who's single is what can we be doing for others for the kingdom, right? And we can't fix all the problems in the world. We can't. But my encouragement to everyone would be to just pray into a few areas that might be heavy on your heart. And Isaiah 58 makes an amazing claim that we have to have a heart for the oppressed, for the fatherless, for the poor, for the orphans. And Tim Keller did this fabulous sermon um, a while ago that just, he actually flat out said, if we don't have a heart for the oppressed, then we don't really have a heart for God. And I heard him say these words that just like pierced my soul because I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing for servitude right now? I'm not doing that much at the moment. And I was like, oh, like this is my single years. These are the times I need to be doing that, right? And we get caught up in our daily lives and what's good for us, like, you know, having our Netflix night and having our girls night and all of that, like, yes, do that as well. That's so awesome that you can have that time, but don't do it in, um, without also having servitude in your life. Um, and so I think another good question when thinking about service is, you know, what, like where, what, like just really how it's going to shape your heart for the world. And I think that by having a passion for the world that's above and beyond just like what's in your small bubble, it really gives you a greater perspective and a greater mission and vision than anything will in the rest of your life. Right. And so right now for me, that looks like I've gotten really excited about um, justice ministry and I'm really, really, really into Brian Stevenson, what he's doing um, in all of his different works and his book, Just Mercy is an amazing resource. But this summer I started volunteering at Prison Fellowship, which they have locations across the country. So that's an awesome way and something for people to get involved if that's interesting to them. But um, yeah, so those are the three things, girls, self-care, soul care, and servitude. And I think if we focus on those three things in singleness, we could have such a rich, rich season. I love that so much. And I, I mean, I relate to so many of those things. I feel like for the longest time in my life, I was afraid to be alone. Um, mm. Like I'm, I'm like totally a friends person. I'm like a more people is more people. I'm becoming more, a little bit more of an introvert. Like the older I get, like I'm just enjoying, Same. well, actually things have changed a little bit because in the time when I was single, I feel like I started to really develop a rich relationship with myself. Like mm. I, there were so long in my life, all growing up where I just didn't want to be alone. I felt like I was missing out if I was by myself. But I think I really, as I started to dig in with the Lord and really do things like self-care and soul care and have time by myself, I really started to like, and this may sound silly, but enjoy my own company. Like I, I actually really love hanging out with me. And like, I I just, I I really enjoy, I really enjoy my time by myself. And I, the girls who follow me on Instagram will know this, but um, on Thursdays, that's usually the day that I have counseling. And right after counseling, I always take myself out to lunch and like, it's my date with myself. And I, and I mean, I just love it. And I think that there's something really powerful that happens when we start to really embrace and enjoy the time we have by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're not seeking out people to like desperately fill this hole, which I did for a really long time. I feel like all through like high school and middle school and and, um, even some of college, like I was just trying to gather people so that I didn't have to be alone by myself. Oh, Um, yeah. And and we, I just, we don't make as good of decisions about relationships. Like we're not able to bring as much to relationships if we're using them to run away from our insides. If we feel connected and whole in our insides, we're able to connect so much better with other people. It's so true. I can relate to everything you're saying about like 
not liking solitude in the way like I constantly wanted to be around people. And when I used to live in New York, this is a huge problem for me. I really struggled with FOMO, the fear of missing out. And I like had to be at everything. And so either that, or I had to organize everything. I was like, I'm either going to be at it or I'm going to organize it, you know? And I was so burnt out by it. Like I would actually have anxiety though, about having nights alone. I couldn't enjoy them because I knew that something was happening and I was missing out on it. And when I moved to LA, God like ripped me away from that entire perspective. Also because my health started depleting because I never was having rest time. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge wake up call for me, but there's something so beautiful about even what you're saying, like taking yourself out to lunch and the past year and a half, I've started going to the movies alone. I love it. I love that. And you get to see whatever you want. (laughs) Girl. And also this is like another weirdly fun fact, but I'm obsessed with Disneyland and I actually, I have a pass and I go to Disneyland by myself. Okay. That's amazing. Well, okay. So I got an email one time from a girl and she was like, Stephanie, I really want to get married because I'm tired of doing things alone. Like I don't want to go to lunch alone. I don't want to travel alone. I don't want to whatever. And the thing that I think we don't realize about marriage is that you're not with that person hundred percent of the time. Um, Carl and I, we did, well, we did work together for the first like three years of our relationship. So we were together like almost all the time, but we don't anymore. And so all day, every day we're apart. So if I'm going to go to lunch, basically any day of the week, I'm going by myself. He was out of town last night. So I had a girl's day by myself and had so much fun. Like we, I travel without him sometimes. We, I mean, we, we're two people that live, like we each have our own job. We each have our own whatever. And so needing to be able to be comfortable in your own presence is not something that disappears when you get married because and like, it's not healthy for you to literally be glued to each other every single moment of every single day. We have to be like, you're two independent people living life, holding hands, but sometimes one of you has to go on a trip or something. So you have to be living your own lives too with your, your friends and doing your own things. That's so beautiful. And if you don't know how to do that now in your singleness, if you constantly need people in your life, like all the time, and it's great to have people, right? Great to have resources and community, but like value the times of like rest and solitude and, and the three things of silent solitude and stillness, like we all, I believe we all need all three, but there's some of those, like each one of those that we actually need more of for some specific people. For me, that solitude. And it's because I used to be the opposite of it. Right. Yep. And I used to always just crave being in people's company. So I really now value solitude and I need that, which is why the me nights are so important. But sometimes yes. for people it's silence or it's the stillness. Right. And it's just like not moving and not doing. And honestly, all of those are so valuable to me, but there are those in that, you know, meditation is so beautiful in that because it helps you to get to all three of those places in one. So I highly recommend just like we don't talk about it enough, but contemplative practices as Christians is so important. And it's awesome. Like whether you're single or not, like in all phases of life, but in singleness, we can cultivate those things, those disciplines now that can set us up for then carrying those practices into marriage. And I think that's so valuable. Yes. And one thing that um, I think really happens when we have those times being silent and still and, and alone is that we're able to like really cultivate more of a love for ourselves. Um, I've heard you say that like without, um, and I absolutely agree with this, um, Mm -hmm. without knowing a true love for ourselves, first and foremost, we won't stand a chance in a relationship. Can you talk about that real quick? Yes. I 
love that girl because here's the thing, my lady, like I love a good rom-com as good as the next girl. Like the, the, like we just talked about Titanic, right? I love Jack and Rose and I love the notebook. I love Noah and Allie and I love a good romantic storyline. But the problem is that real life is so different than Hollywood for so many reasons. And, you know, Hollywood really kind of tries to tell us that we need someone to complete us. And I think back to the famous Jerry Maguire line of, it's like the famous line for the movie, you complete me. It's so dramatic. And then they hug and everyone watching sighs and their heart starts fluttering and you get a tear in your eye. Right. But the problem I have have about this is it's so lovely in theory and the sentiment is nice, but the reality is so misleading because it does a real big disservice to our culture because we actually don't have to be desperate for love. We don't have to be desperate for someone to love us. And I have fallen to this place as far too many times than I can count, taking it, it all the way back again to when I was 16 and had 16 boyfriends, or I was in a really toxic relationship for three years that I didn't get out of. Right. And in order to actually not be desperate for love, I think what you said and you brought up is the key main ingredient. We need to have a deep and true steadfast love for ourselves. And so I'd love to just kind of define what steadfast love is and what does that really mean? Because having a deep and true steadfast love, like when I think about it, it's it's as if I'm picturing this bucket that's ever full of water. And no matter how much you spill it, it always remains filled to the brim. Like, can you imagine just a water, like a water bucket that's always filled no matter what, even when you're spilling it. And that is what God's love is like for us. We can try to deplete ourselves of all the different contents by doing X, Y, Z different things or getting into all these different kinds of relationships. But his love for us never seems to deplete. The only thing that's depleting is the way that we see ourselves in relationships and how much we love ourselves, unless we tap into that deep steadfast love. You know, steadfast love, like God, it says it so much in the Psalms, like God's steadfast love endures forever. It endures forever for us. And so I just think it's so deeply important that we tap into what this means for ourselves, which actually means like asking God, how do you see me? What do you call me to be? What does the love that you have for me actually look like? Like walk that out with God, write it down, journal it, pray about it, worship into it, and actually ask God those questions to understand a deep knowing of how he actually sees you. Because if you don't know how God sees you, then you won't stand a a chance in the world, right? You need to know how God sees you and how he calls you in order to actually stand up for yourself in relationship. And if we know how deeply fulfilling his steadfast love is and that it never endures, or it always endures and it never fails, then we won't be looking for someone else. We won't be looking for the scraps of love that guys can give us, right? And so I think that ingredient is the key ingredient. It's not even just love. It's like knowing the steadfast love and knowing in that, that even if you make a mistake and even if you do something or date someone that you maybe shouldn't, that his love is steadfast, right? Just like I said. So it's not going anywhere. It's going to endure forever. So I think that's like the major key ingredient that we need to tap into. I love that so much. And it's like the the mental picture I get is going into the grocery store hungry. I think we do that. Oh, if you do that, you're going to come out with like Twinkies and like popsicles and tortilla chips and like Doritos also or something. I mean, you're going to come out with like the weirdest collection of things. And I think that that's true in our relationships too, because when we are so starved for love, which I think we can be a lot of times. Um, And actually, I think that there are, like, I feel like we have different 
Well, okay, I'm going to totally screw up your analogy here. This is a new analogy, you guys. So take Kate's bucket and set it to the side. Think of some new buckets also. (laughs) But like, (laughs) really, we need need all kinds of relationships in our lives. We need friendship. And we, you know, I talk about this all the time, but when Carl and I moved to Nashville, it was the very beginning of our marriage. And our marriage was awesome right off the bat. That was the loneliest year of my whole life because I didn't have any girlfriends. And I found out the hard way that being married does not replace your need for girlfriends. And so just in the same, like, you know, we need relationships with our family. We need relationships with a community at church. We need relationships with our coworkers. We need all these different relationships. If we don't have connection with people, we're going to be looking for connection in all the wrong places. And what we're going to be getting back is like weird Twinkies and popsicles and like, instead of like something that'll nourish us that we actually want. Um, and so I feel like, I feel like going, going into relationships, starve for love, either in our identity and knowing who we are because of who God says we are, or we, we hate ourselves and we're hoping that someone else loving us is going to be able to compensate for that, which I've tried that that does not work out that way um or it does like, not work i have done it too right you know or you know if we're looking for our identity in in a guy we're gonna, like we're going to be dating all the wrong people and we're going to be in relationships that are more damaging like it's it's one it's not even going to fill us up and two it's actually going to mm-hmm. cause us harm if we're not like if we're going into relationships without that bucket being full in the right like from the right sources And to that point, I know we're going to talk about this, but that having a deep step best love is how we can actually get by. If we don't do ever, if someone brings up something to us that maybe is uncomfortable about ourselves and we can address it knowing like I, this doesn't like speak to my identity so much that it ruins the way I see myself. I'm a human that makes mistakes. I know I'm flawed. And so I can address this conversation and say, you know what? I still know where my identity lies. It's a deep and steadfast rooted of love from Jesus Christ. But I can go into this conversation being like, okay, Hey, I know I'm not flawed and I can actually work to fix that versus being like, Oh my gosh, you called something out of me. I don't know what to do. Like everything about myself is being questioned. You know, like there's so many things that if you don't have that deep rooted anchor, you're going to start like all the different conversations you're going to have with your boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other are going to rip you apart and you're going to feel open and exposed and overly vulnerable. And you're going to end up falling into the pit of shame, to be honest. And that is what happens too much when we don't have a deep, true love for ourselves. Yes. I, I, one of the things that I really worked out in my singleness and not, this is one of those things. It's like, you always have to kind of go back and do a checkup or a tune up, but insecurity was an Achilles heel for me forever. And I, I just did not know who I was. Or why I mattered. And so when I'd go into a relationship, I was looking for this, like I was looking for love from this person and I would get it, but it never helped. And I remember talking to a boyfriend and being so frustrated because he would say, I love you. And I would hear that nothing, you know, I I would like, I I couldn't feel it. I couldn't receive it. And it was so frustrating for me. And it was so frustrating for him because it was like, dumping Mm -hmm. dirt or like trying to dig out a hole as someone's pushing it right back in. And so, um, in between that relationship and when I actually met Carl, a lot of the work that I did was really asking the Lord who I am and allowing Mm -hmm. him to tell me and practicing standing tall in those truths, trying to like learning, letting God help me believe that I'm loved outside of a relationship. And I cannot even tell you the difference that that's made in mine and Carl's relationship. Because Mm. when he says, I love you, I can receive it and I believe it because I love me too. And I'm able to pour out love on him because I'm not like starving, you know, like we're we're able to pass it back and forth. Um, It has been 
a game changer. And what you're saying is like so good, Steph, because it's also like that humble love, right? It's a love where you know you're like, you're not overly prideful. You love yourself humbly to the point of like, you love yourself. You can receive it. If someone else says, I love you. And then if they also call something out in you, you can be humble enough to say, I still love myself, but I know there are things I have to work on versus like prideful love is like, uh, well, I'm like, how dare you like say anything against me? Right. And our pride can take over. So it's like really having that gentle, humble, strong love for ourselves. Oh my gosh. So good. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. 
Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, okay, Kate, something that you've written about a lot is breakups and rejection and how to handle that. And one thing that really stood out to me, you've written a lot about a relationship that was really actually beautiful. And I love the way you write about it. You write about it with such kindness and such warmth, even though it didn't like end the way that you were hoping it would. And I love that because I think a lot of times we forget to like in the process of breaking up, we forget about the goodness of the relationship. And I feel like you really have been so intentional to remember all the good Mm -hmm. things about that relationship. But one of the things that you wrote about that was so profound to me is you, and, and you can kind of talk about this, but you guys were talking about potentially breaking up. You kind of took a little break. Yeah. And during that time, you had a week where you were preparing your heart to either, like you guys were either maybe going to stay together or mm-hmm. you knew that your heart was about to, like, you know, that, that heartbreak was around the corner and the way that you thought through this and some of the like lies that you worked through were so amazing to me. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about this. Can you like, tell us what happened and kind of what, what you learned? Oh my gosh. So thank you for just saying all of that. And that is beautiful. And thank you for just valuing the, like some of my journey. And yeah, so last year in 2017, I dated this phenomenal human being who I, at the time, undoubtedly thought I was going to marry. And the relationship was kind, caring, thoughtful. It was loving. It was so much fun. And we had a beautiful connection. And honestly, it was very glorifying to Christ. So for all intensive purposes, I, you know, I had other people speaking into the relationship too, but I thought I was going to marry him. And you know what? That wasn't exactly in God's plan. So he came over one day and we were going along just fine, but he came over and said he wants to chat about something. And that day he expressed some concern about things that he never really shared to me before. It totally caught me off guard and it felt like someone had ripped a carpet out from under me. Um, and it was a big learning for me too, to just, you know, constantly check in with someone in the relationship to really see where they're at. So you're not blindsided when it comes out of nowhere. Um, but you know, at the end of that conversation, he said he didn't want to break up and he wanted to continue to see how it went. And so I remember after that conversation, just feeling so blindsided. And the next week I was trying to make so much sense of it, but I could feel the insecurities starting to eat away from at me as that week progressed after that conversation. So 
what I did and what I recommend so many people to do in kind of moments where you're really unsure is I went to my mentor. So go to your mentor and I asked her about what to do. And I just told her the whole situation, how distraught I was. And she was so incredible and she helped me see something so clearly. So she gave me a really distinct metaphor. So she told me that right now, receiving that information from him was kind of the same thing as a deadly infection starting to form, which she called gangrene, which is basically like this loss of blood to your limbs. And I know it sounds disgusting, but she was like, what's happening, Kate, right now is gangrene is starting to form on one of your arms. And what happens with gangrene is if you let it like continue, if you don't take care of it, it like con- like continually like gets the blood loss away from Uh, It takes away the blood from your circulation, and eventually it spreads so badly that you have no option but to cut off a limb. And it sounds so awful, right? But she was like, what's happening right now is you have deep insecurities because he ripped out some of the actual security in your relationship, and your insecurities are going to just continue to grow and grow and grow and spread until finally you have to cut it off, and your relationship is just going to not work. So I could literally... Like as she was saying, I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. She's right. And so she said, okay, I have an option for you. And I was like, okay. And she was like, the one thing I think that you should do is I think you should take a break from one another. And when she said that, I could literally feel my body reacting against it because I could feel myself being like, no, 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 I don't want to be away from him. I want to be close to him. And she totally called me out. And she's like, why? I can see you reacting. Why is this so hard for you right now? And I was like, well, as I thought about it, I was like, because I want to be I don't want him to forget how amazing I am. I want to be in front of his face, you know, reminding him like, I'm here. Remember, I'm so awesome. I'm this wonderful woman. And she was like, Kate, but like, do you, she's like, let me ask you this. Do you trust that God is such a good God? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, do you trust that his plans are better than your plans? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, then you got to know right now, girl, that nothing's going to get in the way of his will for your life. So if you take this break off, it's not going to change potentially the end outcome. So, and she's like, you need to be so secure in yourself. Like she's like the fact that you want to be screaming in front of his face is revealing that you have actually put this relationship somewhat as an idol. Ooh, so girl, sometimes when you are so close to something, it's hard to actually see the realities that are right in front of you. Right. And so that week of break, which he actually was a little hesitant to do, but that week of break that I suggested that we had was so pivotal in my life, um, because it allowed me to step back and get away from it. My face was like super close to it. Right. And I needed to step back and kind of see the whole picture. And Jesus taught me so much in that entire week long separation, including so many ways to build myself up and, and actually understand that if rejection was going to hit, I could actually have the tools to combat it very differently than I had in the past. Because in the past, when a rejection hit or a breakup hit, I actually took it as a hit to my self-worth. I took it as I wasn't good enough and that I was insignificant and that I was unworthy. And it tapped into feelings of abandonment. And so I was determined this time that if that was going to happen, I was going to rewrite that narrative. Um, And instead of seeing heartbreak as rejection, I was determined to see it as protection or even better redirection. So I love saying that rejection is not truly rejection. It can be seen as protection or redirection. And so what I did during that week of, of truly taking that break is I read my Bible. I journaled. I sought mentorship and counsel every single day. I pressed into the truth and the words of God that I knew he wanted to share with me. And something else is 
I wrote into my journal the exact truths I knew that I wanted to speak to myself if rejection would hit. And sometimes we just got to speak truth over those lies, you know? And so in the moment when we actually had the conversation and we did eventually at the end of that conversation decide to break up, I brought my journal and I had written down all the truths of the relationship. And, um, I wrote it down. I had a title that was like how to respond if tr- in truth, if rejection hits. And I wrote down these truths and I remember, I'm like, this is going to be my shield of faith. This is going to be like my buckle of truth, my shield of faith right now. And so literally if I knew that he was going to break up with me, I'm going to open this and read it and like read it to myself as he's saying the words, which is exactly what I did. So I set myself up for understanding the truths. And so I, I wrote down these things. So I wrote down, it's not that you are not good enough. You are perfectly crafted. God's love and plans for you supersede this entire rejection. I also wrote down, if this is what you thought God's best for you was, then that means, girl, his true best is going to blow your freaking mind. And Amen. I was like, yes, I was like, stars next to that, right? And then I also put like, God is setting you apart for something greater. And then I also lastly put this, because I think it's really, really important that it didn't mean that this man didn't love me necessarily, um, because I knew in this case that he did really deeply care about me. And so to be like, I'm not loved, I'm unlovable, it's like such a toxic narrative, and it taps into like us like not remembering how amazing God's love is for us, right? Um, and so I wrote down all these truths, and I say this all to say like that if any women are dealing with heartbreak or have dealt it in the past— just to remind yourself and write it down, like the truth about how God sees you and what is actually true about yourself and remind yourself of that throughout the relationship. And especially in a season of uncertainty or unrest, because those truths spoken over the lies are so incredibly powerful. It does not mean that because you're in a breakup that your past is too much for someone. It doesn't mean that you are not worthy of love. It doesn't mean that you're a complete failure. It doesn't mean that you're never going to find someone else. It honestly could be, and we could talk more like, but like, it could be that God is setting you apart for something even better. So just hold fast and strong that even if you don't understand it right now, God will make sense of it through time and you will understand it through time. You may not understand in that moment. And so the last thing I'll just read for any women listening, because I just think this is so powerful, but this is actually a clip from Lisa Turkers in her book, Uninvited, which I love that book, but it says, Lord, I may not understand this situation, but what I do understand is your goodness for me. I hold fast to the promises you have for my life. Though it's hard, I thank you for the protection that is in this rejection, even when I'm blind to it. With my whole heart, I trust in your plan over my own. Oh, it's, I, I love everything about this because as I'm sitting here, I'm having like, like flashbacks truly to like, as you're talking about feeling like you need to be in front of him saying, Hey, like, this is how amazing I am. I'm like, yes, I'm, I've absolutely felt that a hundred times. And the thing that I remembered in that moment is I remembered how I could not have made Carl leave me if I tried. And, and I feel like in some ways I did. Like when we were dating, he was so sure about me and he was so like, he just made it his business to, to be solid and strong and to care for me and to, to pursue me. Like he just, he just wasn't going anywhere. Yes. And it was funny. Cause he said that the other day, he was just like, Seth, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not ever going anywhere. Like you're stuck with me. And I laughed because I remembered him saying that when we were dating too. And, and I just, I, but 
that was so different from so many of my other relationships because I felt like I had to like tap dance and perform and always be there and be like my shiniest, brightest self all the time. Otherwise yeah. they would forget about me. And, and when it was like the best right person for me, like mm-hmm. there's nothing I could have done to make him forget about me. Oh, girl. Yes. And thank you for sharing that because that is so encouraging to singles and encouraging to me because since that breakup, the prayer that I have prayed, and I share this with girlfriends all the time, the same prayer that I prayed is, God, would you ignite it on the heart of the man, whoever this man is that I'm to be with, to pursue me no matter what the cost? Would you just ignite it on his heart and ignite it on my heart? And so now like the ignition is so there, right? Because you don't want to think that like, what if I had said to that guy at the time, like, what if I had like flamed my arms in front of him? And then like this, like reminder of like how amazing I am. Like, do I really want to think a month from then if we had stayed together that he's only with me because like, I was like waving at him in his face or do I want to think and really know that he is with me? Because even despite the hard times, even be despite my past and sometimes me being imperfect and messing up and not being always fair to him, even despite all of that, it's ignited on his heart to choose me and pursue me and this relationship and love for me. And like, that is what I want is like a heart that's ignited towards me, that the Holy Spirit ignites for someone else. And I, now when guys, when guys are like, Oh, Kate, you're this amazing, you're amazing girl. You're a great casual. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can be with you for whatever the reason may be. I don't take it as like a hit to my self-worth anymore. I'm like, you know what? That's okay. Your heart wasn't ignited towards me. That's fine. Honestly, it's okay. (laughs) I love that so much because I think that one of the things that, you know, I've talked about this before, I think, but with the last handful of guys I dated before Carl, each one of them felt like an almost to me. It was like, this guy was so great and I could totally see it happening. The only thing that was missing was this, or like, you know, we, he was so great. He loved the Lord. He was so cute. We were so connected. The only thing is that we weren't necessarily like best friends. And when Mm. we broke up, I realized, no, I want that. I want someone who's like, because the next guy I dated, we did have that. And then Mm. the next, you know, he was missing something, but the next guy had those things and one more thing. And so I feel like with every relationship that was an almost, I got to either find out what was missing or something that I really wanted that I wasn't willing to compromise for. And the guy that I dated right before Carl, the thing that was missing was pursuit. And Mm. we were perfect for each other. I thought in every single way. And, and honestly, we, we could have ended up together and it would have been great. Like, you know, I'm not a believer in one person for every, like, yeah, I think that there are lots of people we could be compatible with. And he totally was one of them for me. The thing was he wasn't, he never did anything about it. Like he never really tried. He never came to get me. We were, I was in front of his face for so long and we were best friends for so long. And, but like, and we both really cared about each other, but he never, like, he just didn't come get me. And, and I think that when that happens, we take it as such rejection and we take it as I'm not good enough. But the thing I realized through that situation was to realize pursuit is actually one of my must-haves. If you're not pursuing me, that's not on me. Mm -hmm. That is one of the things I'm looking for in a person. And so you can be perfect, but not not really be sure if you're not sure about me, if you're not like, if you're playing games with me, if you're kind of wishy-washy, like that's actually 
you have not like checked that really important box on my list. And I think that yeah. we forget that that can be on our list, something that's requ- that's required to come get us, to, to like land a catch like us. You need to know that you want us and make it known yes. and not change your mind. And and I think we just forget that, that that is on our list. That was on my list after that. And Carl did it. Like, I swear I tried to talk that guy out of dating me so many times. Like, I mean, he truly went through so much with me. I had so much anxiety in that season and so much fear about getting married and all these things. It's a whole other podcast, but, um, but he just was so steadfast and he just was like, stuff, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere and I'm sure about you. And he just was this solid rock of like, I didn't have to tap dance to keep his attention. And, and also that's a really exhausting thing to have to do for your whole life. Can you imagine like, Oh oh my gosh, like we're only together 20 years from now because you've never seen me without makeup or something like that. (laughs) You're like, Oh God. Oh my gosh. That reminds me of the Amazon show, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But anyway, like she like goes to bed, he goes to bed, then she goes to bed and like, you know, takes off her makeup and then she wakes up before him to put it on. I'm like, that is hilarious and And totally not real life. But like, are we doing that in our relationships? Right? Like, are we only showing them the actual perfect version of ourselves? We want someone that sees those little flaws and the quirks and our, and like, sometimes we mess up. Right. And when I don't have the perfect communication all the time, or sometimes I'm overly emotional and you want someone that's like, it's okay. I have grace for you. I can forgive you. My heart is ignited towards you and pursuing you. And I'm steadfast in that pursuit. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like, yes. And amen. Because that doesn't get those. You're still going to mess up throughout your life. Yes. (laughs) And if you're scared that this person's going to walk away because of a tiny mess up, which I've totally lived that fear for so long. Like that's such an, that's such a terrible, scary way to live your whole life. And, um, to, to have the security of someone saying, I choose you even when whatever, I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere. Um, okay. Kate, I could talk to you forever, but I want to ask you one last question before we go. Um, okay. Real talk, something that you shared about that I love, and yeah, we could talk about this forever, but uh, something you've shared about is the fact that you are waiting until you're married to have sex. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about this and just like tell us a little bit about how you navigate this? And especially like you don't live in, well, I live in the Bible Belt, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) I grew up in Denver. I never thought I would live in the Bible Belt, but I do. You don't. You live in LA, which is like, I mean- like a oh my gosh, giant it's like city. a Hollywood culture. I mean, let's yes. get wrapped up in all the rom-coms. And like, I want to go, you know, have this romantic rom-com meet cute, like the holiday movie with someone here in LA, right? It's really easy to get wrapped up in that, especially in, and before this, I lived in New York. So also not easy there. Oh gosh, I love this question. But, you know, I don't have a perfect sexual past for sure. And I'm so grateful actually in ways that I don't because I've realized how gracious and loving our God is and how much he wants to set us free from the shame of our past. And that was something that was so hard for me to realize through time because I, you know, in the wake of everything happening a year ago with the Me Too story, like I shared my own Me Too story last year of sexual abuse. And there was so much shame wrapped up in that. And I just like think that when we come to this topic, we have to come to the throne of grace and know that God sees us as spotless and that we don't have to be ashamed of our past. Um, and so it took me a long time to get to that place because, girl, I was not perfect in the past. And I'm so grateful for his loving mercy and healing for me in those many years. And so, yeah, I have 
like reclaim this decision to wait to have sex until marriage. And so in waiting to have sex, what I believe is so pivotal to really discuss when we have this conversation is to really understand the why we're doing something because it gives us a deeper meaning behind it and versus just being a rule to follow because we can be, we can grow up in the church and hear all day long, don't have sex till you're married. Don't do this. Don't do that. And you're like, great. Okay. But it, when we don't have the actual why behind it, it doesn't seek deeply into our souls. So I think in order to be steadfast on this journey, if you want to actually wait to have sex until you're married, you have to personally figure out what that looks like for you. So for me, that looks like kind of asking this question, what if we could view a man as handsome and a woman as beautiful, but also have healthy boundaries outside of marriage? That would be amazing because I don't want to just say like, oh, there's no good looking guys out there or no beautiful women. There are. And so I want to be able to say that and recognize that, but also have healthy boundaries with physical boundaries. So the issue is, though, sometimes when we demonize sex or like we make it this awful, horrendous thing and we say that it's something that's so uncontrollable, what happens is we put too many legalistic rules around it. And what can that can do is kind of one of two things It can if someone does have a sexual past, it can send them into a deep, dark pattern of shame, right? And Or it can cause them to go into hiding and not want to talk about it. Or if they do have sex after like making, you know, deciding that they not didn't want to, it could also do those same things and it can make them not want to be honest about it. Or B, if someone is waiting to have sex and then they do get married and they haven't had sex in this first time and it's amazing, they maybe won't even be able to recover from the mindset that sex is a bad thing. So there's kind of those two paradigm things which can happen. We can either go into deep hiding and shame, or we can be so afraid of it that when we actually are able to have it, we're like, uh, but I'm not able to enjoy it. And you see that so often it actually can destroy marriages. So what I want to say to that, and this is what I've realized in my journey is that sex is not bad. It's beautiful and it's super important. And in Genesis, God designed the male and female body very perfectly. And then he also designed sex because he made all of it. And then after it, he's like, and all of it was good. That's what it says in Genesis, made male and female bodies and said, all of it was good. And like the funny part of this is also just in this conversation is there's an entire book in the Bible dedicated to sexual romance. Steamy. Steamy. So good. (laughs) And Song of Solomon, in case you haven't read it, when it's talking about fawns, it's not talking about fawns, it's talking about someone else. (laughs) I know. It's like, okay. It's like so funny. The references in there, I like laugh sometimes reading it, but it also can be beautiful because that is like, you know, sex in the context of marriage is so beautiful. So what I'm also saying though, is like, it's not that sex is so amazing that we should go around having wild, uncontrolled sex whenever we want. And I actually think that there's a huge problem with the hypersexualization of our culture in our modern day. Uh, you know, for any listeners out there, if you want to do a deep dive on this, I highly recommend the book Divine Sex by Jonathan Grant. It's hard to get through because there's so much in there. I've highlighted basically every page back to back, but it is so good. And so basically he talks about so many things, but right now we're in this culture of authenticity. And so this culture says that we, we should prioritize whatever it is to actualize and get into our full and true selves, which in many ways means emotional and sexual satisfaction, regardless of your status of marriage. So Society says that in order to be our true selves, our sexual lives are no exception, so we have to be sexually active. And that's kind of like societal, true self, authenticity, culture narrative. And what that does, though, is that it makes 
sex like this huge object that you can have whenever you want to. And I highly do not encourage that, right? So where I actually land on this entire topic is that I believe sex is beautiful and powerful, but I also believe that he reserves sex as a holy and sacred expression of love and intimacy that is really built for the confines of marriage as a safe place to fully be vulnerable with someone else. And that place is safe and it's very powerful. And two married people having sex is awesome and very, it can be awesomely powerful. Like God designed for it to be, and it's really important aspect of marriage. And so that's the thing is like, when I came to that decision for myself to like reclaim this, I'm waiting till marriage, it's really was a, a way to say, I'm redefining what this means for myself. And I value it and value my body and value what this means so deeply and intimately that I no longer want to take part in that for myself because I know the destruction it can have mm. in my life and my heart. And I know what God actually designed for it to be. And so in doing all of that, I really rediscovered also a love for my body, which I think is really important because when we don't really love our bodies, it's hard to like control ourselves, like want to control ourselves sexually sometimes. So I had to get to a deep and true love for my body as well, which as a woman can be really difficult. So yes, I believe it's a really beautiful and powerful thing in the confines of marriage, but I am choosing to wait to do that because I think that that is where God designed it to be the most impactful and powerful and wonderful is within marriage. And so just practically to speak to some of the listeners on some of the things I actually do to maintain this is um, be real with it about with the people I'm dating. Right. And so I actually choose to tell the people I'm dating, like, Hey, this is something really valuable to me. And I tell them pretty upfront very quickly. And you know, if they are not on the same board about not having sex, they're immediately not the same, not for me. So I already know, like I can write them off. If they say, no, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm like, you're not someone for me anyway. Cause we, that's really important to me. But another thing is also revealing like how far I'm willing to be physically intimate. And for me, that's a very clear upfront thing because it's not the same for everyone, right? Like when you choose to maybe be intimate or kiss someone. But for me, I know that I have deep, my pattern in the past is to actually get deeply tied to someone physically. And it actually blinds me from tr- seeing the truth about someone. Mm. So I don't kiss someone. Some people wait till they're married or engaged. I don't do that, but I definitely don't wait to kiss anyone until I at least have a re- established, very true DTR with the person where I know where I stand with that person. And that is so that I can see them clearly. It's so I can see them clearly in the way that God wants me to see them with eyes that are like, I see this person for who they are. And I don't see them for all the fluffy feels and physical intimacy that I'm feeling. Right. And the, the fact is like, you know, if, and like, physical intimacy is so important, but that's only one component. The majority of the time spent with the person is actually emotional and spiritual because that's like you living your daily life. So physical is great and important, but like, let's focus on the spiritual and the emotional first and foremost. Uh, so yeah, I normally don't even kiss guys until they're usually my boyfriend. That's my normal standard for me because I'm like, that clouds my sense of judgment. And I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable with that, but that's what I have to do. That's what I know for myself is good. I love that. I kind of feel like it's like keeping yourself sober until you've Mm -hmm. made a good decision. You know, it's like, you're not getting like kiss drunk or something. Um, and you just make better decisions that way. And like, I, I, you know, I immediately felt the girls cringe when they were like, tell a guy at front, because the question is, what if he turns you down? Or what if he says like, I'm not interested, which has happened to me. And 
I know what's happened to you. And like, that is such a good, that is such a good weeding out process because you have so many questions about a person before you'd know if they're your person or not. Like there are all these things you have to find out about them. And that is a really easy, quick one to be like, oh, you're not going to respect my physical boundaries. You don't want to be in a relationship with me if we're not like sexually active. Okay. Well, yeah. that says a lot about you. Thanks so much for your time. Goodbye. Exactly. And we don't have to be ashamed about telling people. Like I tell guys at like sometimes on a first date, if it's going well, I'll be like, and it's sometimes awkward, but I'll be like, I just want you to know so that this isn't awkward at the end of the night. But I usually, you know, I don't kiss guys on a first date. That's a hard and fast rule for me. And it's, I just, I don't want you to take that as rejection. That's something that's really important to me. And I'm like, and they're like, okay, great. So then you can avoid that awkward, oh, I'm just avoiding eye contact with him at the end of the night so he doesn't accidentally go in for a kiss. Like, real talk, that happens if you don't say anything about it, right? <laughs> you have to and give so him, like, a weird like, side, like, cheek. Give yeah, him the cheek. It's like this moment of, like, no eye contact. Don't look at him. Just go in for a side hug, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> But like, make it clear up front and I don't, don't be legalistic about it, of course, but like, um, know what is good and, and what will set you up for success. Like, okay, let me say that again. Know what is good for you and what's, what will set yourself up for success. I know that physical boundaries are not my strong suit. So I want to set myself up from success at the beginning. Some people are much stronger with physical boundaries. Right. And so they're like, I can kiss on the first date and not ever do anything else other than that. I'm like, that's wonderful. I can't. So I got to wait, you know, and I also know how it affects me emotionally. And I think that's super important um, because physical intimacy can cloud our actual clear judgment of someone. Just like why we don't have sex is to not have a a sexual soul tie to someone, you know? And so physical intimacy can create a physical soul tie to someone as well that can, you know, kind of cloud the way you actually see them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, I love this. And I I like want to talk about this forever. And so actually I'm going to give anyone listening who wants to talk about this more, Kate gave you a great book recommendation and we will link to it in the show notes. Two other things. My story is really similar to Kate's. If you guys haven't read it, it's in the Lipstick Gospel. I talk about the decision I made about sex and how I had a big turning point. And you can read all about it in there. It, I made a decision to stop having sex when I was, uh, let's see. 21, I think mm. 20. Anyway, it was like, it was like, I can't remember. Anyway, it was like six years or seven years, um, in between yeah. then and when I got married and, and I would do, I would make the decision a hundred times again. There's also a sermon series that I talk about in the lipstick gospel, which is why I decided to stop having sex. And they go through the song of Solomon and it is my favorite sermon series. And I'll link to it in the show notes and you guys can listen to it, but it breaks down the whole sermon and tells you what fawns represent and what navels represent and what the whole thing (laughs) is talking about. It's steamy, but it's gorgeous. So anyway, if you guys want further reading on that, I'll link to all of that in the show notes. It is amazing. Isn't that awesome? I oh, I love it. I love it. I want to get the breakdown of Song of Solomon. It's like so good, and they're so funny means. about it. And there's, so, I mean, it just like truly. I listen Your to Your nose is a strong pillar, isn't it? Like something like yes, it's like weird yes, stuff. It's, I'm like, oh my gosh, the whole thing is so good. Um, and I really, I mean, I really listened to it, and I, I had been like why don't Christians have sex? Like, I don't understand. I had become a Christian like four days before truly. And I just was immediately grappling with this. And I listened to four of the sermons out of like six and told my girlfriends, I was like, I'm, I'm done. 
Like I'm done and I'm going to wait. And I mean, it just totally changed my relationships, changed everything. Oh my gosh. It's a whole thing. So good, girl. Kate, I loved this. I absolutely love you. I'm so glad that the girls got to meet you. Um, You guys, I'm going to have all of Kate's info in the show notes so you can follow her too. And I know you're going to want to be best friends with her just like I do, which I mean, we're already best friends. So that's... Yeah. I feel like we have such a soul connection. It's like, oh, this is the beauty of sisterhood. I feel bad for guys sometimes because they sometimes can't connect as easily quickly. And I think that they can be able to, but like, I'm like, I got a soul connection just from a girl that I met online because our hearts connect so deeply and also the power of Jesus in that. And it's so fun. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Well, we're going to have to have a real girls night in person. It comes to Nashville. I'm going to come to LA done and done. You guys, thank you so All much for Celine listening. Dion. Yes. Celine Dion sing off happening. Kate, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Steph. This is so life-giving. I just appreciate you. I love you. I love what you're doing. Thank you for doing this and speaking into the lives of women. It is so powerful and impactful. And so I'm just honored to be a part of it. You guys, isn't Kate amazing? Seriously, she's our new best friend, right? I just love her and I love her story. And I'm so glad y'all got to meet her. Hey, don't forget that if you ever want to find the links for anything we talk about in our Girls' Night episodes, you can always find those over in our show notes just head over to stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog and you'll find links for everything, including links for Kate so you can follow her and so that y'all can be friends. Guys, that's it for today's episode, but we have so much good stuff ahead this season. And with that in mind, now is the perfect time to make sure you're subscribed. Subscribing to the show is the very best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It doesn't send you an email or anything. It just makes sure that your phone downloads the latest Girls Night episode when a new one's released. And I did want to take one quick second to ask y'all a favor. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you've been a Girls' Night fan for a while now, would you take just two quick seconds to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? Those reviews help out our podcast so much, and it really would mean the world to me. So if you take two quick seconds to do that, I'd be so grateful. Friends, thank you so much for joining me for Girls' Night, and I will see you next week.